in a constantly changing world. Today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. So hi, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. Now, we've already spoken to some amazing people, and you'll remember when we spoke to John Amici that he said leadership is energy expensive, and that's so true. And one of the questions that many leaders pose is, well, am I enough? Can a leader really reach out to 20, 40, 20,000 people? How does a leader do that? Is one person enough to inspire, engage, lead, communicate, and drive change? So with that, we're going to talk to Joe Fredericks. Joe Fredericks, welcome to The Leadership Enigma. Hello. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. I'm delighted you're there. Now, I've known Joe for a long time. Joe is a partner in crime with business partners, friend, colleague. He's also the founder and chief strategy officer at PCA. And PCA, well, we would say this, are the leaders in experiential learning. Is that a fair comment, Joe? It's absolutely fair. Good. Now, Joe, you've got a great background, like so many of the guests that we have on uh, this particular podcast. So just give the listeners a, a, an overview of your career to date, because uh, it's interesting. Um, well, I'm glad you think it's interesting. I, it goes back a while. I started off um, in the British legal sector. So... Um, I came out of university having studied law and politics, didn't really know what I was going to do, having fallen out of love with politics actually at university. And um, I was playing football uh, with, with a, a couple of friends from, from my old school. And at half time, the goalkeeper on our side, a guy called John Zani, who turned out to be a very influential character in my life, came up to me and said, um, what, what are you doing at the moment, Joe? And I was like, well, not much, a bit of temping, you know, a bit of filling in whilst I work out what to do career-wise. And he said, oh, how do you fancy working in criminal law? Um, and, I, and I quite liked the idea. It sounded good. So I, um, the following Monday, I rocked up at John's offices, White Lock and Store, um, and I spent the next three or four years actually working with John, who it turned out was one of the top solicitors um, in the UK at the time around criminal law and specialism right. in extradition. Okay. And uh, I started off in the law and I loved it. It was great. Um, it was great. And at the back of my head was this burning desire to um, go back to my roots. My roots had been that I'd grown up in a very theatrical household. So I decided to, to leave the law and uh, retrain in musical theatre, as you do. As you do, um, right? I mean, your mum your was, was a great actress as well. She was, uh, you grew up in this, you said. Yeah, I mean, from the age of pretty much six months, I was touring with my mum when she, she had a one-woman show. She went around the world. So for the first three years of my life, I was touring theatres with her. My dad was, was working in the theatre. She, um, she understudied Judy Dench, actually, uh, in, her, in her musical theatre career, uh, mum did. And so, yeah, retraining musical theatre, came out of drama school uh, with the, the wisdom of my parents' experience having told me there might be moments where I was resting as an actor. <laughs> There's the understatement. Yeah. Um, so, so I decided, look, I wanted to keep hold of that 
corporate experience. I had loved my experience of the law. Why not combine it with the newfound skills I had in terms of performance and acting? And so I immediately went into the training world, uh, learning and development world. This was back in 2000. Right. Um, and from 2003 to 2010, um, I, at the time I was, I was multitasking. It's now called having a portfolio career, apparently. I didn't know that back then. Um, but I was during the day I was training lawyers and accountants and bankers and professionals and leaders around things like communication skills, leadership skills. And then in the evening I was performing on the West End stage and things like blood brothers and buddy and having a whale of a time as an actor as well. Um, I decided to set up my own theater company. So then I started directing, producing, and I was writing music as well. So I kind of had five careers for 10, 10 years between 2000, 2010, um, and then I met my now future wife and it gave me a bit of focus and I was very tired from having done this portfolio career thing for too long. So um, packed in the theatre side of what I did. I, I like to think of it as pressing pause on that. I think I will go back to the, the creative side of my life later and just focused entirely on learning and development. And that's where PCA was born. Ta-da! There we have it. Yeah, that's it. And now you have three small children, which means you get loads of rest, right? Tons of rest. I'm just constantly sleeping and doing nothing with, with uh, yeah, a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a 10-month-year-old. Uh, it's very quiet in our house, as you can imagine, and just constantly full of sleep. You're absolutely right. Now, if anyone missed it, like, you were being quite humble. You were actually in Blood Brothers on the West End stage. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I loved that show. Um, I thought that the story was very political, interestingly. So it kind of took me back to my, my political aspirations when I was a, a youngster. I certainly thought I was going to go into politics. Um, Willie Russell knows how to, how to tell a story, a great story. And um, I did the West End show for, for six months. I did the tour for six months. I was lucky enough playing one of the brothers. Uh, it, every night the, the audience would get to their feet. Every night we, as a, as a cast, would be emotionally exhilarated by the, the story. So I never got tired of that show, I must say. That must be a hell of a blast. Hard probably to give that up, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And I think because I was doing the training in the day as well, so I would literally rush from a training room at 5.30, uh, get on the tube, cross my fingers that there would be no delays, and then get down to the theatre to do my warm-up for the, for the stage show. So it, it did take its toll over a few years, and, uh, and my energy levels as I got older diminished as well. No pressure um, at all. So, you know, I, it was great. I loved it. It was an, an amazing period of my life. Um, but I'm glad, I, that I'm glad I kind of saw the light a little bit in terms of focusing on one thing. Um, and now PCA keeps me equally as busy, to be fair. Now, now, you and I have had a real pleasure and privilege, haven't we? We've bounced around the world. We've been working with global leaders across sectors, levels and geographies. And that's been a lot of fun. But I know something that you're very passionate about has always been human-centered leadership has always been social inclusion. And the topic of the day really is about multiplying your leadership. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It, it, I think, I, I mean, I've just told you that for a number of years, I, myself, I felt like I was having to spin a lot of plates, um, not always successfully. And I think um, when you're anywhere near leadership, I, I mean, I was running my own theater company, I was directing, I was producing, uh, in the training room, obviously, you're trying to be a leader. Uh, on stage, you're trying to lead things. That, that leadership space can be exhausting. And I think for a long time, I just tried to solve everything myself. And, and I think there's a the kind of curse. Um, I certainly wouldn't describe myself as a high achiever, but, but many leaders out there are, are high achievers. And there's that curse of, of high achievement where you, you think you need to solve everything. You need to take all the the weight of the world on your own shoulders and it kind of come, rests with you, the buck stops with you. So I think you're right, the, the human-centered leadership piece 
And then this idea of, of how can you maximize your role as a leader has been something that I felt passionate about. And, and I've had to try and find some answers for myself, um, you know, even running PCA as well. Um, yeah. So I, I, I am passionate about it. And I, and I think in terms of the 21st century, in terms of modern leadership, I think there's a very, way, a very different way of looking at things now. So if you talk about the curse of the high achiever, people are needing or expecting themselves to have all the answers. They're just going to burn out. Then they're not going to be enough, are they? Agreed entirely. Yeah, they're going to burn out, number one, um, which is not kind for themselves or those around them. But, but number two, if they're doing it all themselves, it, if it comes down to them and their own technical ability, there is a limit to that. And, and none of us yes. like to admit that but there is a limit to what we can achieve, to what we know, to what our skills bring to the table. So although it's admirable and high achievers should, should be admired and praised for, you know, for the huge amount of work they do and the commitment and dedication they show often, there is a limit if it stops there. Well, that's really the essence of this conversation. And I was rubbish at maths, Joe, which is why I became a lawyer. So I don't know whether that's the same for you, but we have an equation to help people consider and understand and apply how they can multiply their leadership. So anyone listening at the moment, if hopefully you're not driving, uh, maybe you're out walking the dog, but if you have a pen and piece of paper, let me give you a little bit of a heads up. So here's the equation. Make a note of this, and then Joe is going to take us through these steps. So TQ plus EQ plus DQ multiplied by MQ. Let's start at the beginning, Joe. TQ. Yeah, the, the TQ piece is, a, is an interesting one to me. Uh, often and for a long time, people have thought of IQ. And we've heard that phrase kicking around for a long time. And I get it and I understand why it's been there. And it, it's got a historical significance and a historic, historical journey. I've always found IQ in, in modern leadership um, a not particularly inclusive term. In fact, a potentially okay. exclusive term. Okay. Um, I, I understand what it means. And people don't mean to use it in a non-inclusive way. But if you think about it, IQ is something that has often been associated with, with pure intelligence, uh, sometimes with academia, um, sometimes right. with, uh, with the number of degrees we might have or the, the PhDs that we've got, all of which, of course, is hugely valuable knowledge, by the way, and I'm not knocking it. But I think what IQ doesn't do as a term is it doesn't take into account the technical abilities that many people bring from many different experiences. And as a leader, you do have some technical ability. It's probably been one of the key ingredients that has got you to the place of leadership. Without necessarily qualification, you mean? Without any qualification, without it necessarily right. being about your intellect, without it being about the massive size of your brain, for which some people have incredible abilities. And again, I'm not knocking it, but I, it's an exclusive term IQ if we're not careful. Whereas right. for me, TQ, your technical quotient, your technical ability is a much broader range, covers a lot without necessarily having those formal qualifications as well. Okay, so that's TQ, then it was plus EQ. So what are we talking about? For, I think I know, but help our listeners, EQ. Yeah, I think probably where everyone's brain is going is the right place. EQ has been kicking around as a concept for a while now. If we think about TQ being your what skills, being your, your what's, your technical knowledge, EQ therefore becomes the how skills. Because you can have all that technical knowledge in the world, but without the EQ, without the how, without the ability to interact with other human beings, without the ability to, to influence other human beings, understand other human beings, without the ability to understand the emotion of the situation, um, the TQ can be very limited. And, and we, I'm sure we all know people like that. 
So that EQ, your how, your ability to interact with those around you becomes a critical ingredient when trying to figure out where, you, where you're at in the leadership style. Okay, and for many people, they might be thinking self-awareness. That fits squarely into that category, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. The, the awareness of others, the awareness of yourself, the ability to, to affect both of those things as well because you can have high levels of self-awareness, but if you have no um, ability to affect uh, your, your own behavior, then that's going to be of limited value in the leadership stakes. Gotcha. So that EQ self-awareness piece, I completely agree with being included in that. Uh, and it's something that we can work on all, of, all the time, just like our TQ. It's something that is evolving and can be skilled um, and teached as well. So that's the TQ plus the EQ. We're moving on to the third phase now, plus DQ. What do we mean by DQ, Joe? So DQ is a term that's been probably kicking around for two or three years now. It's an interesting one, the decency quotient. There is beyond your technical skills, the TQ, beyond your then your EQ and your ability to interact with others. There is your intention, there is your motive, there is your value base. And the decency quotient has become known uh, in the learning development world as a way of then saying, okay, well, you, you might be doing a great job as a leader, but actually where are you coming from in terms of your intention and your value system? Right. Where is that decency in terms of what you're trying to achieve, why you're trying to achieve it? There might be some purpose in that DQ area. If you think of the what we've said is TQ, we've said the how is the EQ. We get to the why here and, and the why behind you as a human being, that value system, purpose system, the intentions and the motives sit squarely in that DQ set of ingredients. Right. Okay. Now, obviously, we're recording this and we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So everyone who's, uh, you know, everyone who's listening to this will have been through this. Um, so it's very relevant as well, isn't it, about the values that we have in order to drive through this crisis, drive through the change, and hopefully in pretty good shape at the other end. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the, the danger at the moment is that people think they're going to solve their way out of this problem. They're going to rely on some TQ skills. Right. And, and actually, when you talk to people, when you listen to people, when you get a sense of what's going on culturally all around the world, what people are really missing, what people are really struggling with, what people are craving is the humanity in the situation, the human beings in their life, the social interaction that is being denied by, of course, the, the really important set of social distancing um, regulations all around the world. So if you think about it, the, the temptation is to dive in and try and solve this problem. But actually, it's about just pausing. And it's about thinking to yourself, where am I in relation to the other human beings in my life? And, and organizations have to do that as well with their own people, of course, with their customers and clients. They've got to go back to some basics of thinking about the human beings, how those human beings are experiencing this obviously very challenging period we're in. That will be the route out the human relationships will be the route out, not some technical, um, brilliantly uh, skilled piece of strategy. Yeah. Yes, that has its place, that TQ. But actually, it's going to be some, some EQ, how you're interacting, and critically some DQ, the humanity of the situation that's going to pull us all through this. And that's a major focus for us as well, isn't it, Joe? Where we're looking, really looking now long and hard at human-centered leadership and social inclusion, not just now, but that is something, you know, if we had to almost decide our own learning, uh, during this lockdown period, would you think that is one of the main pieces that will carry into whatever is waiting for us on the other side? I think that's absolutely it. I, I think we've been running this challenge, the, the why, what, how challenge, and got to interview some really interesting people around what they found challenging, but also what they've learned and what they're going to take forwards. 
And the number of times people are saying that what they've learned is they actually just need to really pay attention to the relationships in their life. They need to really value those relationships. They need to not take those relationships for granted. They need to be present to those relationships. They need to enjoy those relationships. And those are the things that they are missing. And, and so I think everyone all around the world has suddenly gone, we take all this for granted. We, we take each other for granted. People are in our, in our social circles, family members, our health, of course, coming up all the time. Yeah. That all comes down to humanity. That, that's not a technical skill. That's down to our humanity. That's down to what makes us tick. And that's why this human-centered leadership piece, this, this inclusivity piece, has been highlighted even more by recent months. Because it's been magnified, isn't it? it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's been a massive magnification of those feelings that we're all having around the human relationships in our life. And, and, and also the inspiration we're drawing from other people, people talking about the, the key workers, the frontline workers. That's on a very human level that we are inspired by them. And, and that's what people, I think, are going to remember from this when we come out the other side. I think I saw a piece in the Financial Times. They were running almost on a daily basis where I think they were calling it saints and sinners. And I don't think anyone wants to fall into the sinner category, but I think a number of people may well have found themselves in that category, perhaps lacking that DQ element. I think that's right. I think the, there are individuals that are in, the, in the business world, certainly, that have had bad press. Celebrity world that have had bad press. There are organizations that have had bad press. And they've generally all had it for the same reason, which is, which is they failed miserably on that DQ. Yeah, yeah. They've come out on the wrong side of the DQ test and, and arguably some of the EQ as well, how they've gone about it. And they might have sat down with their financial advisors, whoever it might have been, their strategists, their boards, and some TQ might have gone on in those boardrooms where people <laughs> yeah, crunched some, crunch some numbers, showing them some, some spreadsheets and some predictions and forecasting. And unfortunately, what they fail to do is then walk away and think about the DQ. And uh, yeah, people are going to remember that, I'm afraid. Okay, so we've got the TQ plus the EQ plus the DQ multiplied by the MQ. So this, I think, goes to the very heart of the matter. The, the MQ, your, your multiply quotient, is something that I think suddenly we realize goes to the very heart of modern leadership. There are tons of different leadership models, and I think all of them are fantastic and have their own place and their own application. But for the last 10 years, really, thinking back through all of those models that, that we, we all know and, and, and have lived and breathed, the, the common denominator is a realization that leaders in their own right don't have value on their own. Right. Where leaders really come into play, where leaders start to really earn their money, really earn their worth in organizations, is where they multiply the abilities, the skills, the experience of those around them. So that actually great leaders can then extract themselves from teams, from organizations, and nothing bad happens. If anything, the organization continues to flourish even more. Because what that multiplier quotient is, is the leader's ability to actually bring the very best out of those people around them, to empower people around them, to delegate to those people around them, to allow the people around them to grow, to flourish, to succeed, to be rewarded when they're succeeded. It becomes less about the leader and much more about everyone around that leader. That multiplier quotient, therefore, is the one that really differentiates good leaders to then great leaders. Because you can be a good leader without it, for sure. But I think to be a truly exceptional standout leader, it's because what you've done is you've inspired and empowered those around you. You've multiplied their value so that when you walk away, things are actually even stronger than when you're there. As we've seen over the last two or three years, more and more organizations ask us to come in 
work with their people, but work with their people to get them to get the very best out of their teams. So they've kind of said to us, look, we've got this great group of leaders, or we've got some potential leaders, we've got some future leaders. What we want you to do is to get them to then leave the training room and multiply the value of those people around them, multiply okay. the value of their teams, multiply the values of their organization. So that, that MQ evolution really of the last two or three years, to me, goes to the very heart of the matter. So Joe, thanks for that equation. So how has this impacted you? I think what it's done is it's a allowed me to really prioritize where I put my focus as a leader, because I think it's such a busy world. We have so many things going on. Everybody has so many demands made of them as a human being. And, and interestingly, over the last 12 months where I really had to reflect on my own leadership Sure, in the business, but also as the father, right? I've got three small children. As a husband, uh, my mother, uh, who sadly passed away last year. And I think the, this equation, what it's allowed me to do is really realize that I can't solve all that stuff. I can't do all that stuff. It can't all be on me. And indeed, if it was, it wouldn't be great because I wouldn't do a great job. What I can do is try and bring value to those around me so that they can go away and do fantastic jobs, whoever that is in my life. So for me, it's really allowed me to prioritize that focus right. and, and really allowed me to, to realize where I can bring the most value as a human being is actually in the way that I can empower others as human beings. And, and that's, that's been vital to me over the last year or two. Well, that's powerful stuff. It really is. And so that's absolutely great. And I love the fact that that is really practical and applicable to any of our listeners. So I hope that is useful to people where they answer that question. Are you enough as a leader? Yes, in a word. So Joe, I've got some silly questions for you, which I ask everyone towards the end of the podcast. Uh, favorite hobby, what's that? I have a lot of hobbies that I love, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, okay, right, I'm stopping right there. I'm gonna say, uh, uh, I could have said many things. I could have said musical theater, <laughs> I could have said writing, uh, I could have said my kids actually, I could have said my, my family, my wife. But, but if I didn't say Tottenham, anyone I know who was listening to this would suddenly say, no, Joe, that's just not true. It's got to be Tottenham. Okay. Um, I've spent nearly 40 years of my life uh, following Tottenham through the highs and mainly lows, I should say. Um, so, yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't mention, mention them. And for anyone who doesn't know, they used to be a premiership football side, didn't they? Only kidding. <laughs> um, what's your favourite word, Joe? Um, I, there's a few words. I, I've always loved the word idealist. Um, Tell me why. I, I, I like the aspiration that it has. I know people, people knock idealists because they say they're not realists, right? And I don't see it that way. I think idealists are dreamers. They're people who are ambitious and, and they're people who have a very clear vision of what they think right and wrong is. So I, I've always loved the word idealist. I, mean, I want another one if I'm allowed to, which is eclecticism. Um, because oh, easy, easy that, for you to say there, really. Yeah, easy for me. I, that word came into my life when I was producing a show many years ago that was a, a mishmash of a ton of different playwrights, a ton of different plays, different musical styles, different writers. There was just a whole host. I think 40 or 50 people contributed to that show. And we were trying to sum up, what is this? And it was like, it's an eclecticism. I, and I love that as well. I just love having tons of different moving parts all thrown together and to see what you come up with. Last question. What would be the best piece of advice you would give your 21-year-old self? It would probably be not, not worrying too much if I didn't have the answer. Um, I think when I was 21, 
I, I used that word idealist interesting earlier and I was a bit of an idealist and I think I worried when I was 21 that I hadn't worked it all out what, what was going to happen how was I going to 21 how was I going to achieve this that and the other how was I going to do x y and z what did it all mean I didn't know and I think that probably troubled me and I think it's absolutely fine to not know any of that stuff I don't think we ever know and and probably when we uh, we go to our graves not knowing any of this stuff that's just fine so I think that that might be the one thing that I would I would try and tell my 21 just so just so 21 year old self could relax a bit you know chill chill out, chill out. all <laughs> right brilliant Joe this has been absolutely fantastic thank you so much uh, we leave with a very, very powerful equation, TQ plus EQ plus DQ plus MQ in relation to multiplying your leadership. Joe, I hope you'll join us again, hopefully when we're not in a global pandemic and share some more of your thought leadership with us. We'd love to. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks very much, Joe. Take care now. Bye-bye. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.